Last week, last week we were looking at the greatest command. If we remember, Jesus in the last week of his life had come into Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, as all Jews would typically. He's come into Jerusalem with his disciples, and while he's there, the Pharisees and the scribes, the Sadducees, all these people are, are questioning Jesus, right? They're questioning him, trying to trip him up, trying to trap him, trying to show that he's some kind of false prophet, that he's not really who he's claiming to be. And so one of the lawyers asks him, they said, uh, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And if we remember last week, we saw Jesus' response was to love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, on these two things depend the law and the prophets. So these are the basis of the law and the prophets. But then we also looked at what was the purpose of the law. Why was it given in the first place? Remember that the law was given because of transgressions until the offspring of whom the promise was made to came. And that offspring is Jesus Christ. And we also looked at how Jesus came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And we, know, we saw how Jesus did fulfill that law for us. And how we as believers in Christ who are clothed in his righteousness and given his Holy Spirit, how we walk in his fulfillment of the law and not our own. Because we have no righteousness of our own. We have no ability to fully keep the law. But we walk in his righteousness and his fulfillment. So we saw that this was not an extra burden that Christ was putting on us. In fact, Christ was lifting the burden off of us. It's what he says whenever he said, take my yoke upon you for my burden is easy. My yoke is light. That's what he means is that I have done all the work for you. Come and be with me is what he is inviting us to. So today as we continue our series called Follow Me, we're going to start nailing down in over the next couple of weeks. The, over this series, we've covered years of Christ's ministry very quickly in a matter of four or five weeks. But now we're about to go into the final hours of Christ's earthly life. And there's a lot that happens here in these final hours, right before he is arrested and tried illegally and then ultimately crucified, buried, and then resurrected three days later. So today what we're going to see is greatness according to God's kingdom. Greatness according to God's standards. We're going to see an example that Christ gives us, but we're also going to hear his teaching on the subject. So again, as we're going through this series, uh, follow me, we're looking at the life of Christ through the eyes of the disciples, right? As if we were there walking with Christ, as if we were one of them during that time, we had the same concerns that they had with their life, with their families, with politics, dealing with Rome, dealing with an oppressive government, trying to uphold all the Jewish customs and laws, trying not to make the Pharisees mad, all the things that the disciples had to deal with as Jewish men at this time. So we're considering this specifically through the eyes of Peter. And Peter's a great character because he's always the one who seems to be saying something before thinking about it, right? He says something to Jesus. And that's going to be what we see here today is that Jesus, or Peter kind of jumps himself into the middle of this situation whenever Jesus is teaching us about greatness in his uh, kingdom. So as they're preparing for the final Passover, again, this is why they came into Jerusalem in the first place. If we remember, as they came in, 
that Jesus is welcome. They, they're shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They got the palm branches. The disciples must have figured something big is about to happen. And tensions are really starting to rise, again, with the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribes, those who are against Jesus. They're trying to trip him up. So Jesus' answers start making them more and more and more mad. The situation is rising in intensity. And now it's come for Passover. It's the day to slaughter the Passover lamb and observe the Passover supper. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus calls a couple of the disciples, specifically John and yourself, if we're putting ourselves in the shoes of Peter. And he says, all right, you're going to go and uh, make preparations for us to eat the supper tonight. And you and John kind of look at each other. uh, Lord, what are we supposed to do? Where do you want us to go? And Jesus looks at you and says, when you go into the city, you're going to see a man carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him to the house he goes to. Go in it with him and tell him that the teacher needs a place to eat the Passover. You and John are a little bit confused, but again, you've learned to just trust Jesus and go along with what he says. You go into Jerusalem and you find this man, just like Jesus said you would, carrying a pitcher of water. You go, you follow him to the house he enters, you speak to him, and it just so happens he's got the place for you all to observe your Passover. You go and make all the preparations, gathering everything together, getting everything for the Passover meal, and it comes time to eat the meal You've gathered together with Jesus and the other disciples in this upper room. You begin to go through all the things that have to happen for the Passover meal. All the observances that you're supposed to do with this Passover supper. And as you're going through supper and towards the end of it, suddenly, Jesus gets up. If you think about how they were eating the supper at this time, it's not what we think of when we think of sitting at a table in a, in a chair like this, sitting up like we eat, right? They, they would recline at the table, leaned out over their right side around the table. So all of a sudden you see Jesus get up, right? Jesus is in the place of honor. He's at the head of the table, so to speak. He, he gets up and he takes off his outer robe, And he grabs a towel and he girds himself. Remember, that's just kind of to wrap a belt to cinch it up to get ready for some work. He goes and he pours water in a basin. And he comes to wash your feet. And when Jesus comes to you at at the table, again, you're, you're reclining there. And as Jesus comes around to you with this bowl, this is your Lord and your master, your your teacher, your rabbi. What, what is he doing? And so you, you say to him, Lord, do, do you wash my feet? And he looks at you and says, what I'm doing, you don't understand right now. But later you will. And in protest, realizing that, that you are beneath Jesus, your Lord and your master, you are beneath him. You say, no, Lord, you shall never wash my feet. And he looks at you and says, If I don't wash you, you have no share with me. If I don't wash you, you have no share with me. And so in in your excitement, understanding, okay, well, if you have to wash me for me to have share with you, then don't just do the feet, but get the arms, the head, get everything, Jesus. And then Jesus explains to you what he means by this. 
So you've had this interaction with Jesus as he's gotten up from the place of honor in the table, right? He's taken off his outer garments, dressed himself like a servant, and then come to each of you and washed your feet, and then wiped them with the towel that he has girded himself with. I want us to think about this for just a moment. This is not uh, modern day society, right? We have nice shoes. We have, most of us put on clean socks every day, I hope. We have nice shoes. We have nice socks. We, we take them off. We bathe every single day. But think about this. Walking on those dirt roads with just sandals, walking through all of the muck and the mire, the dust, the dirt, the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, the, the highest of highs, stepped out of his place of honor in heaven, took off all the things that he rightfully belonged to him to become one of us. And not just one of us, but to become the ultimate servant submitting himself down. And when he went to wash their feet, he would have to get down to wash them. This is a metaphor for what Christ has done in, come, in leaving heaven and coming here to earth to die for us. Jesus was seated at the highest place of honor in heaven. And yet for the sake of love, for the sake of redeeming his creation, he took all that off. He set that aside momentarily to become one of us, to serve us. So let's continue on with this. Looking at uh, John 13, beginning in verse 12, is what Christ says after he washes their feet. Another thing I want to note real quick, actually, is that room had 12 disciples with Jesus Christ. There were 12 disciples at this supper. And later, just a few verses afterwards, after we read this in the book of John, we'll actually see that Judas leaves to go betray Jesus. And the scripture tells us that, Judah, that Jesus knew Satan had already put this into the mind of Judas. And yet the scriptures tell us that he washed their feet. And I want you to consider this for a second. You know that this person is about to betray you to your death. How many of you have the heart to wash their feet? That is the love and the heart that exists within our Savior. The man who would betray him, Jesus got down and washed his feet. This is love. Continuing on, beginning in, um, beginning in, in verse 12 of chapter 13. John 13, beginning in verse 12. It says, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, so also you ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than its master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. 
Jesus has given them an example that they should follow in, right? If we understand Christ to be the perfect man, the sinless man, the man who lived out the will of the Father in every single thing he did, then we see that this example of service and love, and especially when he said specifically, I've given you this example that you should walk in it, is something that we ought to be doing for one another. And he even gives us the reason for it. He says the servant is not greater than the master, right? The master is above the servant. The one who sends the messenger is above the messenger. And so if the master and the sender are serving, how much more should the servant and the messenger serve? He says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Just understanding the concept is not the same as actually serving one another. Simply knowing that you ought to serve as Christ served is not the same as serving as Christ served. Now, this wasn't the first time that Jesus taught about serving each other. Taught about greatness in his kingdom. No, in fact... On their way to Jerusalem, there was a whole other teaching that you would remember if you were the Apostle Peter. So on the way to Jerusalem, Jesus predicts his death for a third time. You'll find this in Matthew 20 uh, and in Mark 10. So for the third time, Jesus has predicted his death. And in this setting, in this scene that we're about to go through, James, John, and their mother... Come to Jesus. So James, John, and their mother come to Jesus and they ask him if James and John can sit at his right and his left hand in his glory. That's a pretty big request, right? It's a pretty big request. They're saying, Can we sit at your right and left hand when you are in your kingdom of heaven reigning over everyone? Let us sit at your right and left. These are positions of honor. And so Jesus, not necessarily rebuking them, but rebuffing them, saying, you don't know what you're asking for. Are you able to drink from the cup that I will drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism that I will be baptized in? And they say to him, oh, we're able. I will tell you, be be careful what you tell God you're going to do. Because in this whole scene here, James and John, who who have agreed, whenever Jesus says, are you able to drink the cup that I'm going to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism that I'm going to be baptized in? They say, yes, we're able. What they didn't understand was they were signing themselves up for suffering, for martyrdom. Now, church uh, history tells us that John wasn't martyred. We know that he suffered, though. We know he was exiled onto the Isle of Patmos. We know, we know that he was imprisoned and exiled. But James, if you go look in the book of Acts uh, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, says that King Herod killed James, the brother of John. Jesus told them, you will indeed drink the cup and be baptized with the baptism. He said, as far as those seats go, though, that's not for me to grant. Those seats are for who they have been prepared for. My father's the one who grants those. 
They didn't realize what they were asking for. And so when the other ten heard this, imagine this. Let's say you're walking with Jesus. You're heading to Jerusalem. And here comes James and John. They've been your fishing business partners for years, right? But then their mother comes with them. And you overhear them asking Jesus to sit at his right and left hand in the highest place of honor in his glory. Whenever the other ten disciples hear this, the Bible says that they became indignant. They were angry. They were so mad. How dare James and John come and ask this and, and bring their mother? How dare they? That's the very thing you want to sit in the place of honor. And Jesus uses this as an opportunity to teach them about greatness in his kingdom. Jesus teaches them. He says, those who are the rulers of the Gentiles, lord it over them and exercise their authority over them. That's what they're into. But it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. The word is actually diakonos. It's where we get our word for deacon. Whoever would be great amongst you twelve must be your servant. And whoever would be greatest must become the slave of all. And we notice here there's a couple of words here. I just used the word slave. A lot of your translations will say servant. The first translation usually says minister, which is very accurate. Like I said, that word there is diakonos. It's where we get the word deacon. It means minister, serving, service, okay? But this other word here at the end, when he says the slave of all, the word there is doulos. And actually, the word before it is pantandoulos, which means of everyone, of all, the slave. If you want to be first in God's kingdom, you become the slave, the bondservant of all. He said, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus taught them a few things here, right? He was showing them that they were not to lord over and exercise authority the way the Gentiles do. Who love to lord over people, their positions, their authority, their power. He said, not so among you. And if you want to be the best out of this group, you become the premier minister in this group serving others and if you want to be first in the kingdom you become the slave of all serving others as the example he gave us the son of man the king of kings the lord of lords the king become servant not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many and this is what, when we see this, compare the standards of greatness that we see in these scriptures, right? Greatness, according to the, the world, is authority, position, power, and being first. But greatness in the kingdom looks like submission, service. Jesus even says being a slave, being last, being low. 
considering others. And this is the example that Jesus has given us. This is the example that he came and lived for us. Again, the one, if anyone deserves to have everyone serve him, it is King Jesus. And yet he came here, and when he lived on this earth, he served everyone else. How much more should you serve everyone else as you live on this earth? If your king served, ought you not to do the same? He submitted to the will of his father. He didn't demand anything. He lifted others, he served them, and he gave them the truth. This is the example that Christ Jesus has given us. And again, this isn't what the world would teach us. In fact, this is the exact opposite of greatness in the world. When we think of greatness, we think of leaders and power and conquest. We think of people who have a lot of money, people who have achieved, people who have acquired many things. When Jesus talks about being the greatest in the kingdom, he doesn't mention money. He doesn't mention having power. He doesn't mention having authority. He doesn't mention having any of those things. He mentions serving others as his test for greatness. So he has given us the perfect example, right? But not only has he shown us what this looks like, he has also given us his Holy Spirit so that every believer has been empowered to follow in his footsteps. You've not only been shown the way, but you've been empowered to walk in the way as he did. The same spirit that was in him as he walked this earth as a believer is in each and every one of you. He's not just giving you the example, but he's also giving you the power to walk as he walked. So here's what kingdom greatness is. Kingdom greatness is the king becomes servant to die, to give his life for the dead, the spiritually dead. That's us in our sin. That we might live to him. Later on in a few weeks, we're going to see when Jesus gives a new commandment to his disciples. When he tells them the greater love, there's no greater love than to lay down your life for one's friends. That's exactly what he did, and that's exactly what he calls us to do. He calls us to love and to serve one another. And if that's what he has done, that's what we ought to do. So as our Lord did, as our master, as our teacher did, let us rise from the table. Let us rise from the seats of authority that he has given us, the place of honor that he has granted us being in him. Let us rise from the table, cast away our outer garments, And gird ourselves. And how do we gird ourselves? In the same way that Paul explains in Ephesians chapter 6. That you are to gird yourselves with the truth. 
You gird yourself with the truth of who Jesus Christ is. You gird yourself with the truth of the gospel. And you gird yourself with the truth that sets people free. And that same truth that sets them free and that has set you free from sin and darkness and death. That same truth frees you to serve others in the name of your King, Jesus. Church, let us pray. Our Father, we come to you today, God, and we say thank you. We say thank you that your Son, Jesus, stepped down from his throne in heaven and being made in the likeness of flesh, God, becoming one of us, that he could live on this earth and serve God, that he fulfilled every righteous demand of the law, that he shared his heart with us, that he gave us an example of who we were meant to be as your children, God. We thank you for our king who became a servant, that we could be freed from our sin and freed from death and free from the curse. Not only that, God, we thank you that we have been given the power to follow in his footsteps. We thank you that it is your spirit that indwells in us because we believe in your son, Jesus. And by the power of that spirit, God, move us to walk as you walked, to love as you loved, to serve as you served even being willing to wash the feet of the one who would betray us. This is the example we have been given. This is the calling that he has given us and the invitation to follow him as his children, as his students, as those who have been set free in him. May we walk as he has shown us by the power of your spirit through faith in him alone. We pray this in the name of our Lord and our Savior and our King Jesus. Amen. So at this time, we're going to move into our invitation. And again, every week.